So with this week being Thanksgiving, uh, I want to start with a question for everyone to just consider as we're going into Thanksgiving and the holidays and Christmas and all of that stuff coming up, and that is this. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? We ask this question a lot this time of year. Um, We ask other people. We ask our kids. People are asking us, hey, it's Christmas coming up. What do you want? Those kinds of things. And yeah, that's all fine and good and and everything. But I want to think about this on a little bit deeper level as we kind of move through today. Um, Because as we ask this question of ourselves, um, I wonder about how we ask this question uh, of, of the Lord. I don't know if you remember, um, any of you remember toy catalogs um, when you were, I, I do, some of us don't, some of us are like, what's a catalog? Um, and I get that. There used to be these things called printing presses, and you would actually print ink on paper and such. It was cool. Um, it's actually, uh, the Bible's the reason the printing press was developed. But anyway, um, so I remember when I was little getting uh, a toy catalog and being able to go through the toy catalog around Christmas, and you're like circling what you want and, and all of that stuff. Um, and I specifically remember getting a J.C. Penny, yeah, I'm dating myself, a J.C. Penny catalog. And, and so, some of you are like, yeah, I'm with you. Um, and going through that, and I remember this particular, I don't remember how old I was, but I remember a particular year, there was a radio-controlled Lamborghini Countach. It was silver, and I wanted that one. And that was just something that for whatever reason that year, I wanted that Lambo and, uh, and I had built it up big time in my head that I, I really wanted this radio control car. And, um, and it's, it was really kind of cool when I got it because I really, I, I got it and I was like super excited for it and then realized I live in Ohio. And so to run a radio control car, you've had very limited space because it was snowing and things like that outside. So you could only really ride that thing around in my room, which I didn't have a ton of room for. And it's funny because as much as I had built that thing up in my mind, when I actually got it, I was in some ways disappointed because I had built it up and built it up. And, you know, I'm like, wow, I thought this would be bigger and thought this would be faster. It's a Lambo, you know. Um, but it's just a radio control car and it was about this big. And, and so I ran around for a while and I made a ramp for it, and, you know, and it just didn't quite jump maybe the way I thought it would in my mind. And inevitably, within just a few weeks, I stopped playing with it. And I honestly can't even tell you what happened to it. Um, I, I don't really know what happened to it because, um, you know, it was really awesome at first, but probably by the next Christmas, I couldn't even tell you where it was. And I built it up so much in my mind that it was going to be nothing but a disappointment because of the way that I had done that. But you know, we ask ourselves this question, what do you want? We ask ourselves this question every day. In some way, shape, or form, every single day we, we ask this question, but how often do we ask it from the perspective of what does Jesus want? How often do we ask, what does Jesus want in this circumstance? What does Jesus want in this part of my life? What does Jesus want in this moment? What does Jesus want as I am a follower of him? And we don't. We don't do that because here's what we do, just to start with kind of the harsh reality. We allow Jesus, we allow Jesus to revolve around our life instead of the other way around. We let we let Jesus revolve around our life instead of the other way around. 
and we think this or that in our life will satisfy us, and they don't. It never does, not completely. It never completely satisfies us. The grass is always greener on the other side, isn't it? Grass is always greener on the other side. And you could say that about various circumstances and situations in life. Because for some reason, we're wired that way. And I think the reason is because we attempt to satisfy and find our satisfaction in the wrong things and in the wrong areas, when in reality, the only way we're going to be satisfied is being satisfied in Christ alone. Being satisfied, it's, it's something that we think about this time of year. We maybe don't use that word satisfied. You may remember a few weeks ago, I, I talked about how I really don't care for that word because of the connotation of it. And I, and I stand on that. I really don't. But we are going to look at this idea because satisfied in Christ alone is where we need to be. Thanksgiving is supposed to be this time of year, this week of year where, where we give thanks. But, but in some ways, it has become this time of reflecting on what someone has and just settling for that. That we just settle for what we have, the whole like, well, it could be worse mentality. And while there may be some truth to that, when we compare ourselves to others, when we play this comparison game with others, we really become fixated on what we don't have. But Jesus calls us as his followers to this radical commitment to satisfaction and contentment in what we have in him not satisfaction and contentment in anything else, but in him. And that's the only place that this word or these words really can be applied. Because when it comes to finding meaning and purpose in life, we need to place that solely on the shoulders of Jesus and in him alone. And if we're placing it on anything else, we're going to come up short every single time. With all the things coming up, Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and all of the things that we want, how can we not just be satisfied in him, not just put him first, but for our life to revolve around him and not the other way around. So let me ask this question. Are you truly, truly confident that what you love aligns with your innermost desires? Think about that question because we're going to come back to it. Are you truly confident that what you love aligns with your innermost desires. If you say you love Jesus, are you actually willing to give up all you have to follow him? Because that is the radical commitment that we are called to. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter uh, 10. The book of Mark chapter 10 uh, is where we're going to be for actually the next two weeks. I generally don't, don't do this, um, but we're going to look this week and next week at the same story, part one and part two of, of the story, um, because these really do go together this week and next week. Um, and while we're looking uh, and, and you're turning there or flipping there or scrolling there, um, this is the story that's known as the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler. And um, in the opening scene of this, uh, a rich man wants to do something to gain eternal life. He's coming to Jesus and asking, what can I do? He wanted assurance of eternal life and a pat on the back for doing everything correctly. Essentially, that's really what he wanted. But Jesus really quickly flips the script on him. He flips the script as Jesus so often does to show him that it's a gift, that it's not something that is earned or deserved, that it is a gift. 
And while the topic is actually eternal life through this story, Jesus brings it back around to that at the end, but the story within the story of this is what makes this really different and really cool. So we're going to be starting in verse 17. Verse 17 of Mark chapter 10. Here's what it says. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. So I love how Jesus does even, doesn't even answer his question right away. He addresses something that to us we may be like, okay, why is he calling that out? Because he calls him good teacher. So why is this a big deal? Well, this was a title that was never applied to rabbis in Jesus' day because it, it really was um, implying sinlessness and a complete goodness. And only God was called good by the ancient rabbis at the time. Because remember, the Bible wasn't written in English, so the word that was used here really had that, you know, what, what it was implying was much bigger than just we see that and go, oh yeah, he was really good at teaching things. That's not what he meant. That's not what he meant, that he was really good at teaching things. Um, he was, this was a title that was recognized. When the guy said this, people perked up because he was being called a very unique and exclusive title, which is why Jesus called it out. Now, what this was not was Jesus denying his deity. Jesus is sarcastic a few times throughout Scripture, more times than we realize. And I believe this is one of them. It absolutely is. Because what he was doing was really inviting this guy to reflect on what he just said. It's like, do you, you really know what you're saying here? When you call me good in the way that you are. But Jesus knew who this man was. Jesus knew who this man deep down really was. See, he knows what we want. He knows what we really want. And so Jesus answered him accordingly. And he keeps going, verse 19. But to answer your question, he comes back to it, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. So, okay, Jesus says, you know the commandments, right? You know, you know what, what's happening here. You know what, what we're supposed to do. Being a Jew, this man knew the commandments. Since he was young, they, they, they had to learn these things since they were young. But I wonder if you've ever read this or maybe you just read this and you notice if you're sitting there counting, how many commandments are there? I think we know, right? Jesus didn't list all 10, did he? He didn't. Have you ever read that and wondered why? I'm going to teach you a little something here if maybe you didn't know this. The, so the, the law, the 10 commandments, they're actually divided up into two sections. It's called the first table of the law, or the first three, and then the second table of the law are the ones that Jesus listed there. He listed the second table of the law. The first table of the law, the first three, they deal with worship of God, our relationship to God, um, blasphemy, idolatry, those kinds of things. And so it's vertical, right? It's our relationship to God this way, vertically. The second table of the law, the ones that, that uh, Jesus referred to here, those you could look at as maybe horizontal, okay? Because those have to do with our relationship with one another, with other people, and how we are to interact uh, with and treat other people, our relationship to humanity. So the first three go like this, 
The second three go like this. Anybody see the shape I'm making? I don't know if that's just ironic. Um, but really, all of the commandments can be summed up in the great command that Jesus talks about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't it interesting the way that those two things all come together? Because Jesus came to fulfill the law. So we see how, the, how scripture fits together so great. And each one of these commandments, they are pure and just and good. And absolutely the world would be a better place if everyone lived by just the commandments that Jesus mentioned. Absolutely that would be the case. But here's the thing. You know them as well. And here's what I mean by that. You may not know, you, you, you may not be able to, oh, well, commandment number four is the, you know, but here's what I mean by that. In terms of how we treat other people, you know right from wrong. If you're, especially if you're a follower of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you have a moral center. You, you know the way in which you should treat other people, and we don't always do it right. We, we sometimes treat each other terribly, but we all know when we're being selfish and when we're not. And our motives drive us to action. What motivates us drives us to action, for good or for bad, because it's about our heart. And so are we willing to make the sacrifice and give everything that Jesus is asking and be satisfied in him and him alone? Or do we just rely on our good deeds? Do we just rely on the good things that we do, which according to the book of Isaiah are filthy rags as we lay them before the cross and before the throne of God. They're just filthy rags. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually gives us the full meaning of the law as he's, as he's talking through it. He goes to the heart, not just to the actions. So you can have a heart filled with adultery even if you've never committed adultery. You can have a, a heart full of murder even if you've never killed anyone. You can have a heart that steals even if you've never stolen anything. See, God looks at the heart as well as our actions. So the man's response should have been to Jesus, should have been, there is no way I have kept or can keep all of these commandments completely. God, I need a savior. And that's where we all are as well. You can say, yeah, I've kept all that. I've never done that, 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 and that. Great. Have you kept yourself completely pure in your heart? If you have, please talk to me afterwards and let me know how. Let's keep reading. Verse 21, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing that you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. See, Jesus felt genuine love for this man because he knew that this man's life was empty. This man's life was so empty. He had climbed the ladder to success only to realize his ladder was leaning against the wrong building. See, the point was not for this man to rid himself of all of his money. That's not really what Jesus was getting at here. Instead, he was getting him to recognize his wrong priority. The man really didn't know who he was. He didn't really know who he was 
He thought he was righteous because of what he had done, but he didn't really know the kind of person that he was. And see, when you don't know who Jesus really is, you probably don't know who you are either. When you don't know who Jesus really is, you probably don't know who you are either. When, when, when who you are, see, who you are doesn't matter. Who you are to you doesn't matter nearly as much as who you are to him. Let me say that again. Who you are to you doesn't matter nearly as much as who you are to him. Knowing Jesus must come first. Knowing Jesus is the only way to truly find out who he wants to transform you into because that is a part of our relationship with Jesus is him transforming us and changing us. That's discipleship. That's, that's growing to be more like Jesus. And so do you really know him? Do you really know him? This is a question we should ask often. Do you know what he is really all about? Do you really know the why behind the what? Do you know the why behind the what? And, and I'll just say this. If you are struggling with who you are, then probably one of the main reasons why is because you don't really know who Jesus is. may not be the only reason. But in a world that is struggling with identity in so many ways, I failed to believe that this isn't part of the reason why, if not a majority of it. Because when we try to find out who we are all on our own, we're never really going to find it without Jesus. So Jesus took the man further down his own path. So Jesus is basically saying, you want to find fulfillment and salvation by doing for God. Okay. Well, then here, do it all. Do it all. Every bit of it. Sell everything, give away your profits, give away all your money, give away all your treasures so that you'll have your treasure in heaven and then follow me. Jesus wanted the man to see the uselessness of trying to find salvation through doing, but the man really wouldn't see it. See, there is so much wrapped up in those two words that Jesus says, follow me. There is so much wrapped up in that. And if we really want to do the works of God, then it has to begin with believing on Jesus. Look at what it says in John chapter 6. As Jesus is talking here, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works, of, to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. I got to believe these guys were expecting to get some kind of long list of stuff some kind of checkoff list of, of this, 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 and this. And Jesus said it's, it's simply this, to believe in the one he has sent. Why? Because the trickle-down effect from that will impact everything. See, it's not about what we do or have done that satisfies our soul. It is only in Jesus alone. See, Jesus' purpose was not to make this guy sad. The purpose of Jesus saying this wasn't to just like, beat him down and make him feel like garbage as he walked out. It was to help him understand his priorities, yet this guy could only be happy. The only way he was going to be happy was by doing what Jesus told him to do because it would have forced him to reprioritize his life in the right way, and so he went away sad. Many people, there are many people who have what we would consider everything, but they walk away from Jesus sad. He also didn't choose to love God more than his wealth. 
even though Jesus specifically promised him treasure in heaven, the man was more interested in the earthly treasure than he was in God's heavenly treasure. The guy was essentially an idolater. He was, he was idolizing the wealth. Wealth was his God instead of the one true God. He put his money first. So then here's the hard question for us. What are you putting first? What are we putting first in our life? Is it money? Is it possessions? Is it business? Is it friends? Let me ask it another way. What do you want? What do you want? Are you truly confident that what you say you love aligns with our innermost longings and desires? If we say we love Jesus, are we actually willing to give up all we have to follow him? Not saying that he's asking you to give up all you have to follow you, to follow him. But what do you want? This question is in many ways one of the most fundamental questions of discipleship. Because if we are to become more like Jesus, which is the goal, is it not? That's what discipleship is, is to become more like Jesus. Then we should want what he wants, and we should love what he loves, and we will be satisfied in that. If we want what he wants and we love what he loves, we will be satisfied because we will be satisfied in Christ and Christ alone. So you are what you love. You are what you love. But buried in this idea of you are what you love, as a follower of Jesus, is a very uncomfortable and awkward realization that you might not love what you think. You may not love what you think. See, if we put Jesus even at, at 1B, it's going to affect, the trickle-down effect is going is to have serious ramifications. And we may not even realize that that's what we're doing. He needs to be first in our life. It's him and everything else. And even if we drop him down just a little bit, just one rung down, it's going to have an effect on us. So let me challenge you to examine your own heart today. Would you be willing, would you be willing to give up all your material comforts in order to follow Jesus? That's a hard question. But it's the right question. And it's the one that Jesus is asking. That's why the connection point for the day is that following Jesus is a commitment that requires sacrifice. We don't think about this enough because we get comfortable, because we get focused on what we want. And when what we want isn't what God wants, because maybe God's voice isn't loud enough in our life. Maybe we're not truly listening. We're not truly hearing that we have that kind of selective hearing. See, sacrifice looks different for everyone. Sacrifice looks different for everyone. Sacrifice is going to look one way for you and it's going to look another for me. It's going to look another for the person next to you. But it begins with being honest with yourself and honest with the Lord. And this is challenging. I agree. I'm challenging all of us and myself included big time. 
But diagnose yourself. I dare you. Diagnose yourself. You are what you love. And what we do with what we have is a reflection of where we are with the Lord and what sacrifice truly looks like for each and every one of us. Will you bow your heads with me? Let's just be honest here. Following Jesus is the hardest thing you will ever do. Following Jesus is the hardest thing you will ever do. To do it consistently, all the time, and never falter, never stumble. Following Jesus is the most difficult thing you will ever do in this life. And you'll never be able to do it completely, which is what Jesus' point was. If you try to do it on your own, you're going to come up short every single time. But I am so thankful that he is more interested in my heart and my willingness hear me on this, than he is in my wallet. He's more interested in my, in my heart and my willingness than he is in my wallet, my work, my abilities. All of those things can vanish in a heartbeat. And I'm so thankful, so thankful that he wants my heart more than anything. And that's what he wants of you. That's the Savior that we worship, that we serve. And if you're not 100% that you're going to spend eternity with him, today can be the day that you can be thankful to find home in heaven. Jesus, I love you and I thank you so much for the truth of your word. And I thank you, God, so much for the fact that you want so much more for us than we can even imagine for ourselves. But it begins with being satisfied in you, not in us, not in, not in the things that we do, God, because we'll never be able to do enough things. We'll never be able to do enough stuff. The good things that we do should be a reflection of our faith and not the other way around. So Lord, I pray that we would all be willing to sacrifice and make the sacrifices that might be necessary to follow you. Lord, I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that sacrifices and loves you and loves people and loves others. God, I pray that we can continue that culture. And Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, Holy Spirit, I pray that as you move through all of us that you would continue to move in that person as well, whether they're here watching online, Lord, that they would be, um, they would be willing to, to come to you or to come to, to one of us uh, here to, to ask questions and to, to maybe know for sure when they walk out of here or when they turn off the live stream that they're going to spend eternity with you because that's where it begins, God. Spirit, I, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to move through each one of us through this place. Use us this week as we go out, Lord, to, to be able to share this good news with those around us. Lord, we are essential workers and you choose to use the church to connect people to you. So God, I pray that you would help us to do that this week. I love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.